How is the metaverse shaping our standards of beauty and what might it mean for the future? Hi, I'm Howard Fields and welcome to season one, episode one of The Omni Future, a podcast about the infinite set of potential futures we each face and how they signal their intentions. Each episode explores the future of a specific topic with the help of world-class sensemakers and futurists. These are professionals with an exceptional ability to interpret signals and spot emerging trends. Our goal is not to predict the future, but rather to illustrate how to envision and prepare for a variety of futures, and to understand how actions and decisions in the present can expand or limit what the future might become. This episode introduces our virtual living series and is hosted by my partner, Gina Clifford. Her guest is Sylvia Galliser, a global futurist and the founder of Silicon Humanism. Let's join them as they discuss beauty and the metaverse. Hi, I'm Gina Clifford. Welcome to the Omnifutures podcast. My guest today is Sylvia Galliser, a well-known futurist whose brilliant human-centered approach to futures thinking is both thought-provoking and inspirational. As part of a series on virtual living, we've invited Sylvia to imagine how our perspectives on beauty might change in an increasingly digital world. Sylvia, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your work. Hi, Gina. Thank you so much for having me today. Really excited to be here and to launch this series with you. I'm a global futurist. I'm based out of Silicon Valley. I'm the founder also of a company called Silicon Humanism. What we do there, well, we particularly focus on topics such as the future of work, learning, and aging. And in all those instances, we explore the future of our human and social self in a world supercharged in technology. Thanks, Sylvia. I'm so glad you could join us. As you know, virtual reality is very hyped right now, and lots of big fashion brands are creating clothing and accessories that don't exist as physical products. There are virtual products designed for your virtual self, your avatar. So Sylvia, if this trend continues, do you think people will eventually care more about their virtual appearances than their physical selves? I love this question, Gina, and thank you for starting with that topic. Maybe what I would do is start by replacing what happens currently in the field of beauty and this specific virtual beauty trend that you're mentioning in a larger context. And you know, as futurists like to say, to be good futurists, you also need to be a good historian. And I would like to share with you, if I may, a few milestones from this landscaping work. For example, jewelry constitutes the oldest archaeological artifacts about 115,000 years ago. It's famous for featuring beauty figures that were associated with natural beauty and health over cosmetics. Then what we note also is an acceleration of body alterations for erotic appeal from the 1800s. The first figurines, which we called Venus, were female, and they most of the time displayed exaggerated sexual characteristics. Ancient Egypt and Greece developed popular practices of makeup already 5,000 years ago. The Renaissance era is famous for featuring beauty figures with sensual naked body and drapery. Another interesting fact, when you look at the Elizabethan era, which culminates in the 20th century with body experimentations in modern art, 
first, you can think Picasso, but also in plastic surgery. And what happens is past two decades is we have really entered the realm of social body image, virtual body image, positive body challenges, you can think of TikTok, and the rise of the virtual body with a market of fashion and beauty products for your online avatars, as you were just describing. So Sylvia, I, I think that's fantastic how you looked at the past and you built that case for how beauty has changed throughout history and through art. And it's interesting how you ended on the virtual body. I love that word. So pulling all of those examples together, what do you think it means for the future of beauty? Well, interesting. First, what we notice is that since the beginning of our species and all along our history, beauty artifacts and representations have been highly significant. It's not just about narcissism or superficial, as it's sometimes stated. Beauty is deeply rooted with us becoming human. The second thing, diversity. There isn't one standard nor one unique direction for beauty. Diverse cultures have different interpretations of beauty ideals and standards. Third, erotic appeal and sexual attraction are closely intertwined with the definition of beauty attributes from the start. Fourth, and that maybe will more precisely answer your question, Gina, we see a trend from exterior to interior to virtual over time. Indeed, what happens is that first, beauty has gone from translating in exterior artifacts, figurines, jewelry, clothes, to being applied to the surface of the body, makeup, tan, face powder, eyeliner, tattoos, and so on to finally become interior through plastic surgery or cosmetic prosthesis and so on. So what could come after? Virtual is the answer. We now are trying to transcend the body itself, to have beauty artifacts apply even closer to our identity, our true self, our soul, you name it. As if we wanted to gain full control over our physical and virtual representations as if we wanted to absorb and completely merge with our chosen aesthetics. And this transcendence of beauty takes the form of augmented and virtual beauty enabled through AR, VR, but also the whole ecosystem which is now being built around it, namely metaverse. Thank you, Sylvia. That was fascinating how you connected those dots and tied things together. So what kind of signals are you seeing right now that hints at the future of beauty and what it might look like if these kinds of signals continue to grow over the next 10 years? Yeah, that's a lovely question. And especially as futurists, we love to mention the signals. The first one is about usage, the everyday use of beauty products. What is happening is that AR in the beauty industry has brought the virtual makeup, virtual hairstyle, accessory try-on to life. And all this is supported by an ecosystem, by a community of beauty influencers. You can think of everything, what AR technology is able to do married with uh, intelligent, artificial intelligence, for example. It enables advanced facial recognitions, live 3D makeup simulation, live anti-aging, skincare simulation, hairstyle, color simulation, but also diagnostic and personalized recommendation. You know that during the pandemic, all these AR makeup try-ons has been proliferating. Physical tests are replaced by hygienic digital try-ons. 
virtual tutorials by YouTube beauty influencers. You can sing Jeffree Star, James Charles, Nikki Tutorials. They bring millions of people to subscribe to makeup lessons, product hauls, and teach that get ready with me video. And on top of that, you have a whole market of smart mirrors. You can think uh, smart bathroom mirrors, smart tablet mirrors, smart fitness mirrors, and all those occurrences. You can see yourself in the mirror, but on top of that, you have recommendation. You have an addition, a layer of coaching. You can imagine your, your coach mirroring what you're doing. You can have real-time feedback, personalized AI-powered guidance, and accessories for strength and recovery, all those connected. So that's the first trend, like really going from selling to someone transactional to an experience of beauty. On the one hand, you have the fashion industry equipping avatars in gaming. Uh, you can think of Louis Vuitton equipping League of Legends avatar, for example, and contributing to the blossoming of the metaverse. So the fashion industry is a big driver for the metaverse. But on the other hand, what's happening is that beauty brands are reshaping uh, are reshaped themselves by the metaverse as they learn to relinquish the control over their image. There's a direct to avatar model. You can think of Balenciaga and Fortnite creating virtual clothing and accessories for avatars in popular games. But also everything that's happening with NFTs, I think, is really fascinating. They started with art, you know, with the people made some with uh, super plastic, Balmain with Barbie. So it's really a mix between the physical and the digital. So really a digital new world piece of art. And then what happens uh, is that NFTs have gained an interest for all the beauty brands. Gucci, which is building. And what it means for brands, it means they need to rethink uh, their strategies. They need to rethink what is happening in the industry because the users, the consumers now are part of defining what's happening. You can think of 3D printing and everything that can be brought by 3D printing. Not only does it allow to mass produce manufactured beauty products such as a mascara brush, that's what Chanel has been doing, for example, but it also delivers customized beauty correctives, be it uh, 3D printed aligners, be it 3D printed sheet mask, but you also have air farms. Now, the researchers have found a way to grow human hair follicles using 3D printed molds. You have also bio ink technology, uh, which can reconstruct skin tissues in vitro. And you have also CRISPR. You, you're probably familiar with CRISPR. It's a powerful gene editing tool. And by altering DNA sequences, you can modify gene functions. So in the industry, what that means for the fashion industry, potentially uh, you can correct genetic defects, treating disease. So quite fascinating. I could talk forever about that topic. No, thank you. It's very enlightening. And if you think about what you just said, that co-creation and brands are kind of not owning it completely, right? It's the consumers that are helping to shape it along with the brands. And there's a different I guess the word equity is starting to emerge. There's a lot more equity for consumers to be part of that conversation. But then what you said about augmenting our bodies, almost going towards transhumanism a little bit, if you think about having these 3D printed parts in our body or on our body, it used to be thought of as healthcare, and now you're, you're describing it as beauty. So that's fascinating, and I, I love the way you position that. I think you used the word augmented 
beauty. And I would like you to dig a little deeper into more about that and talk about like how you see that shaping our culture and maybe with an eye toward equity and inclusion and how that might look in the future. That's an excellent question, Gina. I think augmented beauty is one aspect of what's happening in the field of beauty. And it, it's really intertwined with other trends at work. And we actually studied three other major future forces at work. So what, what we mean with beautiful, we mean ethnic diversity, but also disability, plus size, gender fluidity, because all these are now rippling at various scales. It's not just about product features, it's product features, branding, accessibility, representation by fashion icons, and also equity, as you were mentioning, being part and owning it. Future forces at work, one is about sustainable beauty, one is about health and wellness, so exactly what you were mentioning, and the last one is about beauty for all, or what we call usually diversity and inclusion. And if I may, I'd like to focus on that later one. Until now, if disabled models have starred in a beauty campaigns, it's only recently that brands really started launching disability-friendly products. A gender style, another topic, a very big topic in the beauty industry, a rebellion factor anymore. It's really a totally assumed fashion statement now. And in addition, it's interesting, you know, to observe how TV, social media, and now NFTs and the metaverse are really changing the balance of power between the brands and the consumer. Beauty definers are no longer contained by what we used to call an elite fashion industry, deciding what's it for the overall population. You know, now it's really distributed on multiple platforms among many diverse influencers. And the metaverse and what's happening around this, it really enables us to go one step further with each of us becoming a sort of co-creator, a co-designer of this all. And if there's a defect in representation and inclusion, well, creators will design collections to remedy. You've probably seen that, but the topic of the world of I don't know if you followed that. Reese Witherspoon has voiced her buying uh, Ethereum to invest in NFTs from World of Women. It's a collection of 10,000 yes. unique and uh, symbolic illustrations of women from a variety of backgrounds and, uh, and worlds. And in the first two weeks of 2022, well, this project generated million dollars. So it's really the, the trendy thing right now. And I think in terms of what's happening in the culture, it's really a big signal. But still, we see that despite the best intention, there still seems to be kind of a boys club. That's an expression I've met multiple times concerning the topic. And the Institute of Digital Fashion actually released a report, which is called Myself, My Avatar, My Identity. And they are studying diversity and inclusivity within virtual worlds. And they flag the fact that there's still an underrepresentation of women disabilities and the LGBTQ community. So avatars that are female or have darker skin tones, they sell for less than masculine or white avatars, despite that they are more scarce, despite of their scarcity, they still sell for less, which is counterintuitive on a marketplace. So that's why we cannot just leave it happen. There needs to be initiative that helps it be better if that's really what we want to yeah, thank you, Sylvia. I think you really brought up a great topic. I think the, the cultural bias, it's so deep in our culture that it's being reflected in the market, even, even when, like you said, that there's more scarcity. 
it's so deeply embedded in, in our culture that even that is going to be an uphill battle to create equity there. But it sounds like there's a, a lot of positive forces that are working. And I love the word betterverse. And I think, you know, that's a new word we should all be, maybe be using when we, we start thinking about what the metaverse could be. So in a digital first future, how might clothing, cosmetics, and hair salon industries change to align with this augmented beauty trend? And how might these virtual beauty products integrate with the physical ones? Yeah, great question. And it's really here, I think, about envisioning what the future could look like. And if I may, I will try to maybe bring you into that world. And why? Because I actually had a workshop a few months ago with people working in the beauty industry, a group of group designers, and together we use some tools from Foresight. For example, we use the futures to jumpstart, you know, our scenario building. So imagine in this world, AR and VR tools help us create better versions of ourselves. We live with our digital autonomous doppelganger on social media. Our online and offline identities are now merging or sometimes diverging. We have new tools to reinvent ourselves. We live in a fluid mindset instead of a fixed mindset. Our life is mostly lived through virtual avatars. We date with the virtual avatars. We use live makeup for our virtual life, for our virtual meetings and day. We buy the makeup others are wearing. Thanks to real-time advertising, we can know exactly which products someone else is using. We only go out with VR glasses and we see people virtually. Maybe a kid next to me has a filter, a kid-friendly filter to see life. We choose the representation of the people. We pay maybe to choose the representation of other people if their appearance or fashion is uncomfortable to us. We switch visual appearances with others. There's a whole marketplace of identity switching. So Sylvia, you brought up some really good points about mental health in your long list of ideas that could emerge as a possible future. One, there might be less depression among teens because the body image issue isn't as big a problem if a teen is spending most of their time in the virtual world and they can design their avatar to look exactly as they prefer. But then you also mentioned that new types of mental health syndromes might appear because we're not having as much physical interaction. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? How do you want to put that in perspective? Or what is your hope that, that could come out of that? Even before the pandemic, the beauty industry was really interested into going more on the health and wellness area. The pandemic has amplified this trend. But here again, Let's take a look at some signals. So first of all, about our appearance, how to deal with our appearance and, and these syndromes of body image issues and so on. The beauty industry answers to that with a few things. There's a no makeup makeup, maybe, you know, this idea. It looks as if you have nothing on, but you have to master the style of looking as if you don't have makeup, but you still have some. And, you know, Beyonce is famous for this. I woke up like this Instagram selfie. So I think. What it shows, what's interesting, is that there's always this will to go towards national beauty, but at the same time, this resistance. Like, it still has to be designed because you're on the representation mode. So beauty is about identity and about representation and about the relationship 
and the tension between your representation and your true self. So even when you say prioritizing the feel of the look, well, it's still wishful thinking, but it's really hard to get into the mentality. So I'm wondering when we go uh, into the metaverse and we think also of having all this diversity of representation, will we be really able to get rid of the fact that we are always in a type of representation? So let's say it's a regular mental health issue. And then on top of that, you have new mental health concerns with the fact that you live in a virtual world when you are just your virtual self and you tend to lose control. And what I want to say here is that the virtual self, it's not just about one physical self and one virtual self. It's about having multiple physical selves and multiple virtual selves. So why do I say that? You can go back to psychiatrist Jung, Carl Jung. He was talking about all the personas that we have in different social contexts. And now we add to this person that we have when we're at work, when we're at home. You, you don't wear the same clothes. You don't have the same appearance, let's be honest. And then on top of that, you have all these different personalities, all these different virtual selves that you have going to have in the metaverse. And you have to deal with all these different personas and to switch from one to the other. Like for your brain, it's a constant back and forth, like going from one to the other. But you were asking if I have some hope. I can definitely some good things as well. And I like to mention, but I've been a little girl. I've been playing board games for quite a while, video games. And what happens when you are a young girl is that you have to choose Let's say it's not an avatar, but it's a character when you play that. When I played Mario, there was just one female character, it was Peach. So you play with other girls, just one of us gets to be the girl. So little girls, they are used to playing as if they are in the body, in the character state of mind of a male figure, let's say. So that's the same when you read books, books are mainly written by men overly and, and at school, you study books written by men. You are in the state of mind of males and so on. So why do I mention this? Is that with avatars today, with the fact that you can have multiple selves online, you can choose which identity you want to be. You can choose you, you want to be male, female, in between, whatever. You can be binary, you can be fluid, you can change identity from one platform, one game, one world to the other. You don't need to be always the same. You can switch, you can trade. And so it gives you all area to explore. So you can get away from traditional social models, hierarchical, very male-dominated maybe, to go to more fluid world where you can get to explore for a male to explore what it is to be uh, a more female figure for a female to be whatever she want to be. No, I, I think that's, it, it's really relevant right now, Sylvia, because there's a lot in the media about gender fluidity, especially with the, the Gen Zs. There's a lot of folks out there that are exploring those other ways of looking at themselves, their identity. And I think that the metaverse might be a way for those folks to help maybe mainstream their ideologies for the rest of the world that is still struggling with that idea because it is a ingrained cultural norm that we have that they're challenging. So I like your positioning on that and I think it's it's hopeful. And I know that you and I have discussed in the past, what could this future look like for occupations? There could be new 
roles that come out of some of this, right? The security in the metaverse, what does that look like? Coming back maybe to what we were saying about NFTs and all this new business model around direct to avatar and so on. What's happening is that for brands, for beauty brands, fashion brands, it's really a all new competition that is arising. They used to have a specialty in, in designing clothes and now there are plenty of artists able to design beautiful stuff online and who can just take the image or the brand's uh, Adidas uh, logo and they can say, okay, now I'm designing my own Adidas shoes and so on. So what's happening is they need to react. And I think an example is Nike. Nike is reacting very quickly. And I think it's an interesting role model for the other brands in that area. What they are doing is first they are hiring metaverse specialists. I just saw online a couple of days ago, they're hiring a, a director of metaverse engineering. They are hiring designers. So they are really trying to build up their studios. They also acquired, as we were saying, digital artifact company. So they want to position themselves very quickly on that field. And in terms of what it means for brands, that they need to hire, they need to train, they need probably to acquire the skill, but most of all, they need to work in collaboration. They need to accept that they are losing the overall control of what are the new trends and everything. It was already a first step with all the influencing model, but now with all this co-creating, collaborating model where everyone can design their own virtual asset and sell them for millions and millions of dollars online on NFT platforms and so on. It's a real competition and they need to react pretty quickly. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. I have one last question as we close this first episode on virtual living. Silvio, what conclusions can we draw from the future of beauty on our virtual self? Our virtual self will be co-branded and monetized. And our virtual self will make us either more dependent or more empowered. It can be the one or the other. So that's where we need maybe to think of how we can safeguard our independence, our autonomy. And, and I think deeply our virtual self will have to deal with that very paradox of being more artificial versus being more authentic. And I will close on that. Thank you, Sylvia, for sharing your fascinating perspective on our first episode of The Future of Beauty as part of our virtual living series. Thank you so much, Gina. Such an honor to be the first one. And thank you so much for this lively conversation. I had so much fun sharing all these insights with you. And please feel free to reach out to me if you have any more questions. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Omni Future. Visit our website, theomnifuture.com, to learn more about the show, check out the show notes, download a transcript, and find past episodes. Subscribe to the Omni Future on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or your favorite podcast app to ensure you never miss an episode. The Omni Future is produced by Essential Expertise LLC in association with the Gray Swan Guild, a globe-spanning organization dedicated to making sense of the world's greatest challenges. You can learn more about the Guild, its many events, and how to become a member at grayswanguild.org. 
We'd welcome your thoughts on how to make this the most valuable podcast you listen to and encourage you to send an email to howard at theomnifuture.com. If you found this discussion insightful, please take a moment to share this episode with your friends. And posting a positive review on iTunes would also be greatly appreciated. This is Howard Fields reminding you that your future is what you make it. So make it a good one. We'll see you again in the Omni Future.